everyone. This is Jan Kabili with another episode of The Fix, the podcast that's all about Lightroom, Photoshop, and post-processing. I have some really exciting news for you tonight, and that is that I am not going to be here alone all the time anymore. I have cajoled, talked into, begged, and entreated a friend of mine, a really terrific friend of mine, to join me as a guest co-host tonight, and I hope in some future episodes of The Fix as well. And that wonderful, intelligent, artistic person is Mr. Sean Duggan. Sean, would you say hi to everybody? <laughs> thanks, Jan. Thanks for that great introduction. Hello, everybody. Greetings from the Sierra Foothills in Northern California. So, you know, Sean is somebody I've known for quite a while. He's been in the biz, the Photoshop Lightroom Splainer biz, which is what I call us, the explainers, and um, for a long time. And he's an author. He is an instructor. He is a college professor. Um, he just does it all. He also is a terrific photographer and compositing artist on his own. He's been um, dabbling in video lately and all kinds of exciting techniques for creating and and for, for shooting and creating photographs. So I couldn't have, have a better partner in crime here on The Fix than Sean Duggan. Sean, would you embellish that a little bit and tell us exactly what you do? Well, I don't know. It's, it's hard to top that. That was pretty great. <laughs> I have to put that on my resume. I like it. So uh, as you say, I've been doing this for, for quite a long time, been uh, a photographer for over 30 years, uh, and I've been uh, teaching other photographers how to master their craft and make the most of, the, of their photography and their Photoshop and Lightroom image processing, as well as other related topics uh, since the late 1990s. So I, I have been doing this for quite a while. And along the way, I've had the good fortune to uh, co-author some uh, pretty well-known Photoshop books, such as the Photoshop Artistry series, uh, the Creative Digital Darkroom with Katrine Eisman, real-world digital photography, and the most recent one was Photoshop masking and compositing, also with uh, Katrina Eisman and Jim Porto. So I just feel really fortunate that I've been able to collaborate with uh, so many really talented and creative people and just you know be able to share what I know with other photographers and kind of help them uh, along their creative path. But of course, writing isn't the only thing that you do, although those, although those really are impressive books. Those are the books that I have in my collection, by the way. Uh, but what else do you do besides writing? Uh, teaching uh, workshops uh, at a variety of venues around the country, such as the, the main media workshops, uh, Anderson Ranch Arts Center in Colorado. Uh, I also do uh, workshops in Iceland, uh, typically once a year, although this past year I did two of them. Uh, my next one is coming up in uh, late February or early March 2016. We're going to do another winter landscapes and aurora hunting uh, workshop in Iceland. I also um, teach a online class in digital capture and workflow for the School of Visual Arts in New York City as part of their MPS and digital photography program. And so that's coming up uh, pretty soon here. And I also do private consulting. I work with a lot of uh, photographers in the Northern California, San Francisco Bay Area, uh, just helping them with their photography and their processing. And it's kind of a, a combination of consulting and mentoring. And I also do that online for uh, a lot of people as well. 
And of course, you forgot something very important. You are a lynda.com author with an ever-growing collection of lynda.com training courses, aren't you? This, this is so true. It's so good that you're there to remind me of these things. <laughs> of all the yes. things you do. You have too many things. You can't remember I have too many things to do, yeah. Yes, indeed. And, and that's also uh, just a, a really uh, great thing to be involved with because they put out a lot of wonderful content. And I just feel very fortunate to be able to be uh, a part of that and contribute uh, my content to their online training library. It's just uh, a blast to create those videos. And sometimes we get to do stuff where we go out on location and do stuff. So uh, definitely cool stuff. So what are some examples of some of the courses you've done, which I think are so unique? They're the ones that I really like to listen to. Well, uh, I have a, a fairly eclectic mix of courses. Uh, it's kind of a blend between photography and uh, digital processing courses. I've done a couple of different courses on night photography, both the uh, act of going out and shooting photos at night, uh, as well as enhancing night and low light photos in Photoshop. Uh, I did another related night course on uh, photographing and assembling a lunar eclipse composite back when we had uh, a lunar eclipse last year. I've also done courses on how to create photo composites on your smartphone or your tablet. And my latest one is a compositing course on how to photograph for compositing in Photoshop. So if you know you're going to create a composite, how to go out and shoot the photos that will work best for that composite. Whether it's a, a composite that you uh, have planned out in great detail where you know uh, what you need to shoot, or whether you're just sort of shooting for a potential future composite and want to take the picture of something so that it's going to be easier to work in your composite at that hypothetical future date. So that is a very impressive list of courses that you've done at lynda.com. In addition to all your other activities, creating photographs and teaching other people, helping other people to do the same. So I'm very excited and very honored that you're going to help me with the podcast and, um, uh, I hope that everybody out there enjoys meeting you tonight and that they'll be seeing a lot more of you here on The Fix. Well, thanks very much. I'm happy to, to join you and be your partner in crime uh, in this endeavor. So that's announcement number one. I have more exciting news. You know, up till now, we've done more than 20 episodes of The Fix since its beginning a couple of months ago. We've gotten great reception. And it turns out that it's a lot of work for me to put together all of these episodes of this podcast on my own. And that's one of the reasons I've asked Sean to help me. I've also been thinking about ways that I could bring you the kind of information that I think that would be most helpful to you that are not just the format that we've been doing so far. The format so far has been each week I have a special guest and the guest and I chat for a while. And that's so that our audio, our audio listeners, those of you who are in your car or maybe you're, you're doing something else on your computer can just be listening to us talking. And then after we talk for a while, my guest shares his screen and offers a tutorial about Photoshop or Lightroom or some other app or technique for post-processing. And that has worked out really great. And the guests have been just the most fantastic people. Everybody from John Paul Cap Negro to Matt Klaskowski, to Dave Cross, to Peter Crow, to Lisa Snyder, to Mark Johnson, to David Marks. I could go on and on. The thing is, that is a great format, but it is not the only way to convey information to you 
about post-processing your photos. So I thought it might be interesting for some of you at least, and I hope that it is, um, to try this in another way in addition to having special guests. So every once in a while, we're going to try out a format that we call SOS, you know, like help, SOS, help. (laughs) And the idea is uh, that we're going to look for the most common issues, the most common questions that people have about Lightroom, about Photoshop, about how to process their photos. And Sean and I are going to answer those questions. We're just going to talk. There probably won't be any screen sharing for this format of the podcast, which will occur every few weeks. Um, And I think that those of you who are not sitting at your computers looking at the video will especially benefit from this, but I hope that everyone will too. So this is going to be the first episode of the SOS format of The Fix, and Sean is here to help me with this. And what we're going to do is start right out with a question that Sean has found that is a typical question um, that I think a lot of you have. Sean, what is that question? Well, this is a question that I've, I've seen on numerous forums expressed in a variety of ways, and I've also run into it with some of my own consulting and mentoring clients as they kind of get into working with Lightroom or just even just wanting to organize their photos better. And uh, essentially it goes like this. I'm new to photo editing, and really I just want to be able to find my photos I want to be able to, you know, make pictures of my grandkids look better, maybe make prints to send to the family from time to time. Should I put my effort into learning Lightroom, Photoshop, or Photoshop Elements? Well, that's a great question. I think a lot of people have that question. You know, Sean, in the old days when you and I first started teaching, there was only one thing to teach and one thing to learn, and that was good old Photoshop, right? Good old Photoshop. But as time went on, Adobe, as well as other companies, have come up with other solutions for people interested in doing something with their photos after the shoot. And that something can be everything from organizing their photos to um, to correcting or adjusting them the photographic qualities of their photos to making photo creations like books or slideshows or, th- as this gentleman was asking about, um, prints to send to the family. And so there is more, the upshot of that is there's more than one program to learn. And I do think a lot of people are confused about where to start. Should they just go directly to Lightroom? Should they go out and buy uh, another program like Photoshop Elements? What should they do? So my answer is, it kind of depends on your skill level. The, the idea was, don't you think? Yeah, well, you know, I'm, I'm laughing because um, I ran into this question the other day, not this particular question, but that answer in part it depends. I think that it depends is sort of an answer that really applies in so many places in the digital processing world. And like you were saying, it really depends on what you're doing with your photos. That's right. And I know that can be kind of a frustrating answer. It depends. So let me be more specific. If you are a professional photographer who makes your living taking photographs, or if you are a serious amateur or hobbyist who has lots of experience in post-processing, then my suggestion is you need two programs. You need Adobe Lightroom and you need Adobe Photoshop. However, if you are somebody who's relatively new to processing, kind of like the the gentleman you you were becoming as you asked that question, Sean, the person who's interested in sending photos to the grandkids and making them look a little better and maybe making a print or maybe a, a slideshow or something like that, then I would suggest you start somewhere else and that's with Photoshop Elements. Now, it used to be that it was heresy to say the words Photoshop Elements. Remember that, Sean? Indeed, indeed, I do. 
right? Like, oh, Photoshop Elements, that's just like, you know, a canned version of Photoshop. You don't want that. That's really, that's all automatic stuff. That is not true anymore. You would not believe how sophisticated Photoshop Elements is and what a wide um, range of features and techniques and effects that it offers. So that um, it really is most useful now, not only for rank beginners to post-processing, but even for people who might consider themselves intermediates. Or even sometimes, you know, I use elements sometimes and I'm really supposed to know what I'm doing. But when I need something to be really quick and really easy, that's when I go to elements. So let me let me explain a little more. What Elements has is kind of like a combination of Lightroom and Photoshop. When I say a, a combination of those, what do I mean? Well, you know, Lightroom really excels at organizing photos. It, it's a place you can go to organize your photos. Um, it's a place you can go to make photo quality adjustments, like adjustments to color and tone. But Lightroom doesn't do much in the way of pixel. It doesn't doesn't do anything in the way of pixel editing. In other words, changing the content of your photos. For example, if you want to make a composite, or you want to um, uh, do some retouching of a portrait, or you want to remove an item from a photo, those are things that if you're a Lightroom user, you would have to have a second program for, which is Photoshop. And I think we'll have other episodes of this show where we go into more detail about using Lightroom and Photoshop together. But I just want to use that as a point of comparison for Photoshop Elements. Photoshop Elements does both those things really well. So Photoshop Elements is a good package if you want to be able to organize your photos, as well as push the pixels around um, in the kind of editing that I just described. Does that make sense, Sean? Yeah, and actually, that, you know, that brings up a really good question, which, you know, you are uh, eminently qualified to answer, since I know you have done several lynda.com courses on using Photoshop Elements. And I've used Photoshop Elements in the past. I really haven't, I'm not too familiar with uh, some of the more recent versions, but I, I was always impressed by just how much of the core Photoshop functionality was contained in there in terms of the, the stuff you'd want to do what, that most people would want to work with. But the question that I have for you is that, so if, if somebody just wants to organize their photos and maybe, uh, you know, make them look better, do occasional retouching, maybe make some collages, you know, simple collages, things like that. Um, so Photoshop Elements is a, a good sort of intermediate program that wouldn't require them to get into kind of the more professional level of Lightroom. It has a, a photo browser and a photo organizer. Yes, it does. So it has actually, it's actually two separate programs in one. One is called Elements Organizer and one is called Elements Editor. So, um, most people will use them both. You don't have to use them both. You could just open up photos directly into the editor, just like you do in, in Photoshop proper, and just work on them and save them. You can use it that way. But if you want, you can first import your photos into Elements Organizer, add keywords there, um, put them into albums, which are kind of like Lightroom collections, uh, add star ratings, pretty much the kinds of things you would do in Lightroom, but with simpler controls. And then from there, from the organizer, you can take them into um, Elements Editor. And what is so interesting about Elements Editor is that it is like three programs in one. So in Elements Editor, you've got a really basic um, interface called Quick Edit, which is all just real simple sliders for basic color and tone adjustments, a couple of thumbnails you can click on and you're done. There is a kind of an intermediate separate or a second uh, interface called the guided edit workspace where you if you know you want to do a particular thing like I want to 
um, combine two photos. You can follow instructions in a guided edit that appears on your screen that tells you exactly what to do. It like leads you through the steps and it even provides you the tools. So you don't have to go over to a toolbar. You just look through this written guided edit and you click the tools that are right in the context of the guided edit. So that's the intermediate workspace. And then finally, Elements has a third workspace called the Expert Edit Workspace that is so much like Photoshop. It looks like Photoshop. It smells like Photoshop. It's got the tools. It's got the panels. And you, as you suggested, you can do almost everything in the Expert Edit Workspace that you could do in Photoshop that a regular non-professional or non-serious hobbyist is going to want to do to their photos. What, you know, for what can't you do? Well, for example, you can't access paths and you can't access channels um, or the more advanced features like that in um, Elements Expert Edit Workspace. But you can get, you do have layer masks and adjustment layers and so many of the other features that you have in Photoshop proper. So that was kind of a real fast introduction to Elements. But the point I would like you to take home from that is that you have an organizer, you have an editor, and in the editor, you have three separate workspaces to suit your level of expertise and uh, what you're doing in, you know, at the current time. And finally, you have something else, which is you have a creation workspace where you can make everything from slideshows to um, greeting cards and all kinds of other they call them creations, but they're actual, you know, projects that you can do um, and that those are easy to do also in Elements. So that's why I say go to Elements. Now, ask me the question, Sean, what if you use Elements and you get really good at it? <laughs> <laughs> then what do you do? <laughs> what if you use Elements and you get really, really good at it? What then? <laughs> Thank you. Well, then this is the coolest thing ever. You can uh, graduate, let's call it, from Elements to Lightroom. And if you want, you can add Photoshop into the mix, but you don't have to. And that's because in Lightroom, there is now a command. I believe it's in the file menu in Lightroom, which is um, update your elements catalog or your elements organizer to Lightroom. And, uh, and so that's like a one-stop command that you can use in Lightroom itself to bring everything you've organized in, in elements into Lightroom as a new Lightroom catalog. And when you do that, um, many of your organizing features like keywords and star ratings and albums will move over from Elements into your new, brand new Lightroom catalog. And now you're a Lightroom user. Isn't that's that really amazing? Cool. Yeah. Yeah, it's really so, so that's cool. Yeah, that's in the same menu, I believe, where they have the uh, import from iPhoto or import from Aperture, probably. Yes, that menu in Lightroom. So yeah, now at that point, fun. after you become a more experienced post-processor, you really want to use Lightroom, you can do so. You may still need a pixel editor, as I mentioned at the beginning, to do things like retouching and composites. So at that point, you could continue to use Elements Editor as your uh, pixel editor. Or if you want, you can also learn Photoshop. But you don't have to grab Photoshop and break your head on that too. You know, I'd suggest maybe upgrade to Lightroom, learn Lightroom, and then bring Photoshop into that mix and drop out elements. Does that make sense? Okay. Makes total sense. And of course, if your if your intentions right off the from the bat are, you know, to really kind of delve more into the more uh, you know professional, in-depth area of image editing, maybe you want to try to make this a career or whatever, or just get better using the tools that you know, professionals use on a day in, day out basis, the uh, photography bundle in the Adobe Creative Cloud for $9.95 a month will give you current versions of Lightroom and current versions of Photoshop that are updated all the time and that actually have uh, 
features that don't show up in the standalone version of Lightroom, for instance, like the new uh, dehaze slider that just recently showed up. That's a very good point. And people need to know that. I see a lot of people say, oh, I can't do Lightroom and Photoshop. Too expensive. Not so expensive anymore. $9.99 a month for both those programs if you sign up as a Creative Cloud user. However, Photoshop Elements is not in that mix. If you're going to go with the Elements route, then you actually buy that program as a separate program. It's not part of Creative Cloud, at least not yet. Correct. Okay, so that, I hope, answers that conundrum. I have now a question that I found in a Facebook group that I frequent a lot. Oh, before we go there, I do want to finish up on the elements thing with one thing. I forgot to mention this. If you guys want to know a little bit more about what I just talked about, and you do, you are a lynda.com member or you're running the lynda.com trial, um, I would suggest that you take a look at some of the courses that I've done there about Photoshop Elements. I try to keep them brief, particularly those called Up and Running with Photoshop Elements for each version of Elements as it comes out. Um, So take a look at that. But also, I just did a course there called um, Using Lightroom and Photoshop Elements Together. And that's very interesting. And I think that will help you too if you've graduated to the second stage I mentioned, where you now want to try out Lightroom, but you still need your pixel editor in Elements. And it will also tell you how you can do that graduation, the thing I mentioned a little while ago. So that's the course called Using Lightroom and Elements Together at lynda.com. Okay, so now, Sean, I want to ask you a different question. And I did find this on a Facebook forum that I frequent about um, Photoshop for photographers. And this is... um, Actually, no, that was a forum called uh, the Photoshop and Lightroom Users Forum. And on that forum, somebody asked this. I want to use Lightroom to help me organize my photos, but my photos are all over my computer. And they're also on external drives as well. So should I try to organize my photos on all those hard drives before I import them into Lightroom? What do you think, Sean? Well, it depends. Channeling <laughs> <laughs> that. Um, well, actually, no. I, I, I'd say that definitely some amount of pre-Lightroom organization would be good. They don't have to be organized perfectly before you import them into Lightroom. Um, one thing I, I, I run into a lot when I work with some of my consulting clients is that sometimes there's a reticence to bring a messy collection of photos into Lightroom because, you know, you're thinking, okay, I'm going to start fresh here. I want my Lightroom catalog or library to be well organized. So I don't want to bring in this messy stuff. You know, it's kind of like, you know, moving your furniture into a new house and bringing the the bureau with all the messy drawers, you know, let's organize them first. Um, So I I think it's, it's good to organize them up to a point, but don't obsess over it too much. The key thing about, having your photos organized, I think, is that they should all be in a central location. So you know that they are in one folder on your hard drive, you know, my photos or the pictures folder or whatever. And if you have so many photos that they need to be stored on multiple hard drives, designate dedicated drives just for your photographs. So I have dedicated hard drives and I know that my photos are all on those hard drives. So even if I might be having trouble finding uh, a photo, I know that it's got to be on that hard drive somewhere. So I would suggest getting them all together into one folder uh, or, you know, a couple of folders if you need to sp- uh, split it across different drives. And at least they're they're all in there. You know that your photos are in that one place. So at that point, you could 
bring them into Lightroom at that point, and then just sort of organize them once you get them into Lightroom. Or, of course, you could use some other program to help you do a little bit of pre-organization before importing in. If you have Adobe Bridge, which is, you know, uh, comes with Photoshop, you could always use that. Or you could even just use, you know, uh, the, the File Explorer or the Mac Finder view to just sort of move photos around to get them a little bit pre-organized before bringing them to Lightroom. But I wouldn't stress or obsess too much about making them perfect. Part of the reason that you're going to bring them into Lightroom is that you're going to be able to see them and you will be able to organize them once you're in Lightroom. So having a Lightroom catalog, uh, I mean, really any kind of a photo catalog, it's a little bit like a garden. I mean, that's maybe a bit of a stretch because obviously digital photos are nothing like an actual garden. But, you know, in a garden, there's always stuff that needs to be done. Different seasons in the garden, you have to pull the weeds and, you know, prepare the soil for the new plants you're going to put in. There's just always stuff you're doing in a garden. And it's sort of the same thing with your image catalog in Lightroom. You are always sort of cleaning up, you know, the, the newer stuff that comes in might be really well organized. But there's some of the older stuff you might have to constantly go back and clean it up a little bit. So I say get them organized in one place, in one folder, so you know, okay, all my photos, as messy as they are, are in this place on my computer. Bring those into Lightroom and then start organizing them as you have the time. Bring in new photos and make a consistent organizational structure for all the new stuff and then gradually work backwards in time to clean up the older stuff. That's a pretty good idea. I understand the value of that. Now, I have to say I'm a little more of a stickler than you, though. Um, I, I, my recommendation would be you do not have to get all your photos completely organized into folders before importing them to Lightroom, as Sean says. However, I think it's a really good idea to at least come up with an idea of how you would organize them if you did take the time so that you can enter Lightroom with, a, with an idea of how you're going to you know, where you're going to put them. So for example, I think an easy way to organize is to have a folder for every year. And you can start before you go into Lightroom, you can start putting the obvious photos into those annual folders on your hard drive. So I have, let me just tell you what I do. So I have one external hard drive on which I keep all the photos that are in my Lightroom catalog. And I have hundreds of thousands of photos, but I also have a really big hard drive. I think it's a four terabyte hard drive, an external hard drive, not that expensive anymore. So all the photos are on there. I put them all into one folder, as Sean described, as Sean suggested, really important. But then under that, I've got a folder for every year. So before I started bringing all those into a Lightroom catalog, I started shoving photos into the annual photo folders on that drive. Now, I didn't agonize about putting them into the right months and dividing them by subject or however else I was going to organize. But in my mind, I'd thought out that I was going to do this by date. And, you know, at least at the high level, there was going to be a top level folder and then annual folders underneath that. And then maybe later in Lightroom, I'll get a little more granular and do more inside of the annual folders. Does that make sense? Totally, yeah. And actually, that's that's how I've done it. I, I had my photos organized annually by year long before I ever started using Lightroom. So uh, I still actually have some older photos that I haven't brought into Lightroom yet, but they're organized just the same way all my other stuff is in Lightroom. So I can easily, you know, I can find it pretty easily. One thing I would advise people um, is never, ever, ever. <laughs> import images into Lightroom that live on your desktop. 
And the reason for that, I, I've run into so many people who do this, and usually they're maybe they're working on some other project, and you know they just save them to the desktop because it's easy to find. But the problem with that is that you know kind of by their very nature, desktops and and the files that we store on them are always in flux. You know, you're always moving things around. Folders are getting renamed. Files are getting renamed, and and that's a big no-no with files once they're in the Lightroom catalog. You'd never want to rename them or rename their folders or move them around outside of Lightroom because Lightroom will lose track of it. So, you know, we all reach a point with our desktops where they just kind of get messy and cluttered and we have to clean up our desktops. So just the very fact that desktops often get cleaned up and reorganized mean that if you do have photos that are on your desktop that are in your Lightroom catalog, it's likely that at some point Lightroom's going to lose track of them and Put a big question mark on the folder because it's lost the link to that. So just a little piece of advice. Again, if you keep all your photos in one place, that's going to be less likely to happen. I agree with you. And you know, you a few times I've heard you say something about keeping your photos on your computer. I actually tell people not to keep their photos on their computer. You know why? Uh, well, there's a, a plethora of reasons I can think of, but tell me the one you're thinking of. Well, the one I'm thinking of is your computer is going to fill up really fast. And that's yeah. particularly true if you've, uh, like, I just have a new MacBook Pro and it's got a 500 uh, uh, gigabyte drive in it. Well, obviously, that cannot be the place for my Lightroom photos to live, particularly if I have anything else on the computer that's going to take up other space, too. So. You know, yeah. the issue of the desktop, I mean, pe my, my, my students don't even go near the desktop with their photos because I tell them right off, keep those photos on an external drive, not on your computer. Yeah, totally. And the other thing, too, about, about the computer is that, you know, you're going to have to upgrade your computer at some point, or you may need to replace a hard drive or expand into a, a bigger internal hard drive. And it just makes it so much easier to update your Lightroom catalog and have it pointing to the right place if those photos are stored on external drives. That's right. It does. It's quite easy to point a new catalog to um, to to a drive that's got your photos on it. Um, the other thing I was thinking is, um, let's see. Oh, we talked about having uh, at least one kind of top level folder on the drive where you keep your photos. What is the reason for that? Well, just so that. Um it's kind of an obvious container for, for where the photos are. So you know, it's if you just had a hard drive and then you had a folder for 2015, 2014, 2013 on there, I just think it's a lot cleaner just to have it in one folder. Like mine just says, you know, image archive, and that's the name of that folder. So for me, that's just the way. It's just an easy way to know that my image archive, everything that's in Lightroom is inside this one folder. And so if, if I stick to that rule, even if I maybe accidentally might break another rule sometime, like renaming a folder or moving it outside of Lightroom, I still know that it's somewhere in that main containing folder. That's right. And that sounds so obvious, but I will tell you, I've had people pay me money to come over to their house and try to fix the fact that they had their photos all over the place. And if they just followed that rule of one drive and in that drive, one top level folder, and then think about how you're going to organize and do it a little bit, but at least get them in that one top level folder. And there is yet another reason to have them in a, in a top level folder. And that um, is, you know, what if you have a kind of, like, say you have a one terabyte external drive that you're using, you will find that that fills up pretty fast, maybe in a year or so. And then you go, oh my gosh, you know, I should have bought a two terabyte drive the first time around. So you go and you buy a two terabyte drive and you bring it home. Now you're like, oh my gosh, I want to keep all my photos on this one drive. 
I have to start dragging photos folder by folder. That's going to be a pain. If you have all your photos inside of this one umbrella folder at the top, all you have to do is move that umbrella folder to your new drive and everything goes with it. And it's easier than to point Lightroom to the new location of all your photos. It's just repointing it to that one new top level folder. Yeah, and, and that works really well. I actually recently did that myself uh, about a month a month or so ago. I moved to a four terabyte drive and it's just easy, easy to relink it. It's true. So all of that is pretty complicated. And, um, you know, it's unfortunate <laughs> that it's kind of uh, the first thing you have to do when you're about to use Lightroom is think about where you're going to store your photos and how you might organize them. Um, it's it's going to save you a lot of time and trouble later. And then the other thing, you know, before we move on from this question here, the other cardinal rule is, and this is really hard for a lot of people to get used to once they start using Lightroom, is once those photos are part of your Lightroom catalog, any renaming of the files, renaming of the folders, or uh, moving the, the folders around to a different location within the catalog, all that really should be taking place using the Lightroom interface to do it. Because if you go out to the Mac Finder or the Windows Explorer view to do that, then you're going to break the link and Lightroom's going to not know where to find that. And then you can have a lot of question marks and a lot of aggravation trying to find them again. It's true. It's true. So if you want to know more about organizing your photos, there I got a couple resources for you. Um, one is a book that Sean and I both worked on um, called the Adobe Photoshop. What is it called? I have, to, I have to turn around and look at the name. It's so long. It is. <laughs> ah, here we go. It's the Adobe Lightroom and Photoshop for Photographers Classroom in a Book. And that's, in that's there... That's a big mouthful. I didn't choose the name, <laughs> but I think it's descriptive. Um, it, it, so that book has a whole chapter on organizing your photos and suggestions about uh, how you might, um, where, where to store them and all the things we've been talking about in answer to this question. That's one option. And then um, if you do go to lynda.com, this is an ad for lynda.com, but I just know what's there because I do a lot there. Um, if you take a look at my courses called Up and Running with um, with Lightroom, and there's one for every version of Lightroom. Um, I try to really simplify this issue and, and talk about where to store and how to organize your photos for use in Lightroom. So those are some options for you. There's some resources. Um, what else should we talk about? Do you have any more questions for me, Sean? Yeah, I, I have one. Uh, that's, that's uh, again, a common question that uh, I hear a lot uh, um, about Photoshop, and I'm sure you do too. Uh, probably pretty common for, again, people who are new to Photoshop. Um, again, this came from a forum. Um, someone told me not to use direct uh, adjustments to my images, so you know, brightness, contrast, things like that, but to use adjustment layers instead. And what are the advantages of using adjustment layers? That's a great question. Um, you know, I kind of assume that everyone uses adjustment layers in Photoshop, but um, when I see, when I actually am teaching live and I see people, I realize no, it's not true. That uh, people's first instinct, perhaps when they are learning Photoshop, is to just look for uh, to go up to the menus and at the top of Photoshop they'll find, uh, I believe it's the image menu and in there the adjustments menu and then they can find uh, brightness contrast and hue saturation and other direct adjustments. But when you apply those kinds of adjustments to a photo, uh, one of the big problems is you're actually changing the pixels in the photo. And we talk about that as being destructive editing. So I recommend instead using adjustment layers, which you can add. Um, there's a 
create new adjustment layer button at the bottom of the layers panel. And that actually creates a brand new layer that sits above your content layers or your photo layers. And you can apply adjustments there that will affect the photo on the layer below or whatever is on any layers below. So uh, the big thing about using adjustment layers, the big advantage is that they are not destructive of your photo. They do not change the pixels in your image. Instead, they are just it's like you're writing instructions about how you would like the photo to look with a particular adjustment. And we always try to do this sort of non-destructive editing in Photoshop, not because it's a virtue unto itself, right? But because um, that will help you in the future if you need to, to tweak your edit, to, to change your adjustment. And so I see uh, non-destructive editing as the first advantage of an adjustment layer. The second and very related advantage of an adjustment layer is that it is re-editable. You can always click on the uh, adjustment thumbnail on an adjustment layer to reopen the properties panel in Photoshop and have access to all the sliders for that particular kind of adjustment, whether it was a hue saturation adjustment layer or a curves adjustment layer or a levels adjustment layer. So, And that's true um, even after you save and close the photo, as long as you have saved it in a format that retains layers. So here's a question for you, Sean, one that we didn't talk about. I don't know if you're going to know the answer. I hate to put you on the spot. Uh Uh-oh. What are the three formats that retain layers in Photoshop that you should save in if you want to keep your adjustment layers? Uh, Well, the Photoshop, native Photoshop format, obviously, PSD, the TIFF format, uh, and I'm going to go out on a limb and say PDF. You are right. Ding, 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 ding. There we go. I, I really don't use the PDF format for preserving layers in Photoshop, but I, I kind of knew in the back of my head that that was a possibility. That's right. And the reason I know that, I think I've said this before on the show, is <laughs> I actually took the Adobe Certified Expert exam before I wrote it. <laughs> I took an earlier one. <laughs> and uh, and that was a question on the exam. And honestly, I did not know that PDF had anything to do with Photoshop, let alone was a format that retained layers. But PSD and TIFF are the, are the best answers, really. Right, right, definitely. And the other, the other cool thing is that adjustment layers come with layer masks so that you can edit where in the image uh, the adjustment is applied. So you can paint in the layer mask or make a layer mask based on a selection. So they're, they're so flexible. I mean, I, I, I can't really open a file in Photoshop without, you know, in quick order starting to add adjustment layers and layer masks. I agree. And so that is the third and most important um, or one of the most important advantages of adjustment layers is the ability. You don't have to add a layer mask. It's just there and you can start using it to target the areas affected by an adjustment. Now, there is having said all of that, there is a new way to make um, adjustments in Photoshop CC um, 2015. I can never remember the names of all these versions of the program, right? So the brand new version of Photoshop that was just released in June of, tw- of 2015 has a new feature, and that is that you can not, you can, I don't want to say, as an alternative to adjustment layers, you can make a direct adjustment on uh, a smart on a layer that you first convert as a smart filter or a smart object. And when you do it that way, you get a little more control over your adjustment than you would have if you made a direct adjustment, just boom, right on the photo layer. Um, but I still prefer to use adjustment layers over that new feature because I think adjustment layers give you more flexibility than that new feature does. Um, for just one example of, of what you get with an adjustment layer that you don't get with the new, let's call it the smart filters approach to applying a direct adjustment. Um, with adjustment 
adjustment layer, you get a separate layer mask on every single adjustment layer that you add to a photo. But if you use the smart filters route, you're kind of just stacking adjustments under a smart filter. And so you only have one um, layer mask that applies to all of those adjustments that are kind of hanging under the smart filter. Does that make sense? Yeah. And the other thing too, is that uh, blending modes are a lot easier to access if from with a regular adjustment layer than with this new method of kind of having smart filter-esque adjustments applied to it because you can still access the blending modes, but they're a little bit hidden. You have to kind of go into a little drop-down menu and, and find them. So they're not as easy to access, I think. I agree. So we're still fans of adjustment layers, and that's the way at least that I will go continue to go in the future. They were they were a revelation to me when they first showed up in Photoshop 4. Not not CS4 but 4 back in 1996 or 97 or whatever when, when that came out. That's when adjustment layers showed up and it was like, "Wow, this is cool." Yes, it is cool. Now, I have one more question. Do we have time for one more question, Sean? I think we have time for one more. Well, this is kind of a quick one. Um and this is something I see all the time when I teach live. Here's the question. A student asks, I've heard that it's best to always make a copy of the background layer in a photo that I open into Photoshop. And then, you know, I have a second copy of the file to work on so I don't mess up the first copy. Do you recommend making a copy of the background layer in Photoshop? Well, uh, you're right in terms of seeing that all the time. I, I run into that all the time as well. And it's mystifying to me how this sort of just <laughs> perpetuates itself and, and stays around year after year. And, and the, the underlying um, reasoning for doing this is sound, meaning you don't want to permanently harm the pixels on you know your image, the, the main background layer. However, as we just discussed with adjustment layers, if you're making tonal adjustments, color adjustments, contrast adjustments, anything like that, those are much better applied using adjustment layers because you know they're non-destructive, they're separate. Um, where I see a lot of people uh, using that approach of duplicating the background layer is when they want to do retouching. So let's say there's uh, maybe an element in a picture that they want to remove you know, using some of the retouching tools. So they'll duplicate the background uh, layer so that their retouching is on that separate copy of the background layer. Again, the reasoning is sound uh, for not wanting to permanently harm the background layer, but I feel there are much more effective ways to go about that. For one, when you duplicate the background layer, you are doubling, right off the bat, you're doubling the size of your file. Um, and if it's a 16-bit file and it's a large file, that could be, you know, may be significant. If it's just a small amount of retouching that needs to be done, I prefer instead to either use empty layers. I'll make a new empty layer above the background layer, and I'll do my retouching on that. Now, for that to work, you do have to make sure that in the options bar for your retouching tool, whether it's the clone stamp tool or the healing brush, there's a sample menu in the options bar, and you need to make sure that that's set to current and below. You can also choose all layers, but I like to choose current and below. Uh, and that is going to allow you to copy data from the layer below, but have your retouching placed on that empty layer where you're where you want to retouch. And so the nice thing about that is you can turn that layer on and off to see how convincing or effective your retouching is. You can erase parts that you didn't do a good job on and do them again. Um, the the one situation where that doesn't work well is things that rely on content-aware fill, content-aware healing, things like that. And for that, I still don't duplicate 
the background layer because again I don't want to double the size of my file I'll just make a selection of the area that I want to retouch and make it big enough so that the content aware tools have enough data to work with float that up onto a new layer using the uh, command J or control J shortcut and then I will do my retouching on that layer so we're coming down to there really aren't any obvious situations in which it is necessary to duplicate your background layer in Photoshop? Well, I, I can think of a few. If you need to apply, uh, you know, pixel altering changes that do indeed affect the entire background layer, like if you wanted to, I don't know, run some sort of a, a transformative filter on it, you wanted to smudge it all up to make it look like an oil painting or something like that, Something like that, maybe it would make sense to duplicate the entire background layer. But I, for me anyway, and the, and the way that I like to work, those cases are, are fairly, you know, few and far between. The one thing I, I was gonna, excuse me, the one thing I would mention about this really quick is that it's important to, to do this when you're using separate layers for retouching is that you want to lock the position of the layer so it doesn't accidentally get moved because when you have retouching layers it's really important that they remain aligned with the background layer and in the proper place and if they accidentally get moved it can of course uh, you know uh, destroy the effect that you were trying to achieve and call attention to itself so if you look at the locking icons at the top of the layers panel I believe the third one in from the left has a little uh, cross with arrows on the tips that will lock the position of the layer so you cannot accidentally move it. That's great advice, really great advice. Now, that's probably all the time that we have for questions tonight, but I wanna emphasize that you may not agree with everything that you hear us say, and that is okay because there are lots of different ways to work in these programs, particularly in Photoshop. You can accomplish the same thing in many different ways. So if you have a way that you're more comfortable doing things, go ahead and continue that way. And we would love to hear from you about that too. Feel free to enter to you know to enter a comment down below the show notes at thisweekinphoto.com, the fix for um, this episode of The Fix. It's our first SOS episode. And let us know if you don't agree with us. Also, please let us know if you like this format or if you don't like this format. Because if you if you don't, then we'll just erase it. But if you, we won't erase this episode, but we'll avoid doing it in the future. But if you do like it, Sean and I have so much knowledge that's just sitting there. It's just like, you know, wants to burst out. And we would love to bring it to you um, in whatever format is best for you. And I think that this is a good one, this, this question and answer SOS format. I'd like to hear what you think too. So if you would do all of that in the comments, also if you have specific topics you would like us to talk about in our SOS sessions, feel free to enter those in the comments. We look at those comments all the time and we will take the heart what you suggest. So that's all I have. Sean, do you have anything else you'd like to add? Um, just one thing, uh, for people who live in the Northern California area, I am going to be teaching a one-day uh, workshop on Photoshop selections, masking, and compositing on October 18th at the Viewpoint Photographic Art Center in Sacramento, California. And you can find details about that at my website, which is just seanduggan.com. seanduggan.com, and we'll, we'll write that out um, in the show notes, too, so people can find you. All right, everybody, thank you so much for joining us tonight. I hope you've liked our new SOS format, and I look forward to seeing you again next week here on The Fix. As does Sean Duggett. Take it easy, everybody.